Amen. Amen. Church, y'all with us here today? Come on, come on. Y'all with us here today? Yeah. I'm glad to be worshiping God with you all. Excited to be opening his word. How many of y'all joining me in the Sick of COVID fan club? Y'all with me there? All right, all right. Y'all online there with us? I think uh, before we get into words, we want to continue to call us all to keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Don't let complacency uh, settle in, whether you're here or whether you're online. For those online, we know there are many of you who, for different health reasons and health concerns, are unable to gather with us. But I do suspect there may be some watching online whom God is calling to be here, to be here present and to come through and be able to gather again with the saints. I want you to know we would love for you to be here and we'd love for you to come through. Uh, If nothing's holding you back, be sure to join with us as we continue to gather every week uh, at 9 and 11. It's been so good. It's been so good to, to walk through God's word together. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And today we're going to taste and you're going to see that God is good, church. We're going to taste and see that he is good as we conclude our series from the book of Daniel today. Before we get into that, I just want to do some FYI moments here as we uh, finish up this series. We've been walking through Daniel. This will be our ninth message now in the series. And at the brook, we oftentimes preach through entire books of the Bible. We'll start off in the first chapter and work our way through. And I need you all to know that that's part of a strategy. Is not because we ran out of ideas on what to do. Um, we do run out of ideas, but that's not one result of it. What we do is strategically uh, work through books of the Bible for various reasons. I want to share this with you just real quick before we jump into the sermon for today. We want you all to understand that the biblical authors wrote with a purpose and their books have themes together that are woven from the first to the last chapter. And if we're just jumping in and out, we miss those themes. And so in, from this pulpit, we preach through books. Sometimes, like Daniel, they're nine weeks. Sometimes they're 10 or 12. Or like we did for the book of Mark several years ago, it was like 40 sermons in the book of Mark. But we jump in, not all the time, but most of the time, because we want you all to see those themes. We want you to know that all Scripture is breathed out by God and that it's not just interspersed random verses, church. But they all are collective wholes. Like God is working a plan through books of the Bible as they are unifiedly put together, church. And we want you all to see that. We also want to model for you the way that we want to call you to study your own Bibles. This is pretty dope. So we want you and we call you to get in your Bible and start in chapter 1, verse 1 of a book. And every day, bit by bit, you read portions of that Bible until you, until you finish that book of the Bible. When you're done, jump into another book because what you'll see is the beauty of God's word being unfolded for you. And you get to experience the personal joys of discovery. But that happens when we take the book as a whole. It also, when we do this, it allows us to hear what God wants to tell us. Now you might say that's kind of obvious, but, but look at here. It's, it'd be very easy for me as a pastor to just preach uh, passages that, are, that I'm passionate about, that I love to preach, themes and stories that are fun for me. But what would happen is we would miss those stories and themes that might be less exciting or books and stories and themes that, that maybe I would not pick. If you said, hey, pick a sermon over 40 years of ministry, and like, I would never pick that one. But when we preach through books of the Bible, we come to passages we would not normally pick. And we say, all right, God, what are you going to teach us? 
And the beautiful thing when we go through books of the Bible, we get to enjoy those, those stories. The last thing is this, why we go through books of the Bible. is because we ultimately trust in the sovereign hand of God to allow us to hear what we need to hear when he wants us to hear it. Y'all with me on that? Because we could try to strategically say, all right, on this particular day, we're going to preach this because this is what's going to be going on. And there are times we do that, but a lot of times when we try to do that, we end up missing the mark. But God's like, hey, I got this, all right? Just preach through the book, and I'll make the sermons line up based on what I want my people to hear. And so this is a reflection of our trust in God's sovereignty. And so we taste, and so we see, and we jump into books of the Bible. And today we're jumping into Daniel. We're going to look at this final vision he has that spans over three chapters, Daniel chapter 10 through 12. And this will be a bit unique. Usually we don't take such a large chunk, but today it works out for us. Before we get into that, I want to tell you about something that's been happening at our house uh, earlier this summer. There was about a two-week window where about every other day, picture frames were falling off our walls. It's weird, right? And the worst thing about that is when a picture frame falls off your wall, it never happens at 2 p.m. It happens at 2 a.m., right? It happens in the time of the day or in the middle of the night where it's going to freak you out and you're worrying and wondering. To this day, we really don't know exactly why our picture frames and different things are falling off. It's a little creepy. But we did notice one common thread was there's a particular 3M strip that we were using that appears to not be as strong as we thought it was going to be. And as I look at the 3M strips, we learned that if you don't fasten them properly, they're not as effective. For 3M strips, first of all, you got to make sure you put them against the right surface. If you ever try to pull one up against a brick wall, it, is, it ain't going to work. Because brick walls are harder surfaces. They have a little more texture to them. And a 3M just doesn't adhere to it well. Uh, the second thing is when you put up a 3M strip on a wall, you've got to first prep the wall by cleaning it with some alcohol, some rubbing alcohol, so that the, the adhesive of the strip gets better attached to the wall. But then there's a third thing you got to do you got to press into that strip and hold it for at least 30 seconds so that it properly bonds to the surface. If you don't do those things, the 3M strip is not going to be able to carry the weight that you're trying to put on it. All right, I don't know if you all are here today to learn about 3M strips, okay? But you know that was some helpful information. You didn't know about the rubbing alcohol part, did you? It's because you don't read the instructions. We should be doing that. But it tells us something about the Christian faith. You see, what God wants to establish in us is a kind of faith that's able to hold the weight of life, the weight of adversity on us. God wants our faith to adhere to him. But the problem for many of, of, many of us is that we often are trying to put our faith against the wrong kind of surface. God's saying, put your faith in me, but we put our faith in a God that we've dreamed up in our minds, which isn't the God of the Bible. And when we fall off in our faith, we look at God and say, why couldn't you hold me? And God's like, that wasn't me that you were trusting. What happens is when we say, God, I'm going to trust you because you're a God that does not bring any trouble to my life. You're a God who makes life easy. You're a God that doesn't allow suffering. And then when you fall off, you look at God's like, God's like, that wasn't me. Because we're putting our faith in the wrong surface. Furthermore, as we put our faith in God, we don't let God do that cleansing work that the rubbing alcohol does on the wall. We are not allowing him to sanctify us so that our faith is weakened. And when we are put up against the test, we are more susceptible to falling. 
Because we not, have not allowed his Holy Spirit to sanctify us. Like the 3M strip, we haven't pressed in so often in our faith to God. We haven't bonded to him. In fact, we might attach to him on Sunday morning, but detach from him on Sunday evening. We might attach to him for our mealtime prayers, but detach from him when we clock in at work or head off to school. We might attach to God when we're in public, but detach from him when we're on our phones. And God's like, the problem is you're not pressing into me. Who knew from a 3M hook we could learn so much, huh? God wants us to have a kind of faith that's in him and not what we think he should be. A kind of faith that allows his sanctifying work in our life, even through adversity. A kind of faith that attaches to him no matter what. Because when we do that, our faith is able to handle what God brings into our life. This is the kind of faith that Daniel possesses. This is the kind of faith we see him living out. It's the kind of faith that God wants to develop in Daniel. And by application, all who read the book of Daniel from that time forward. He wants us to have a faith that sticks to him. It's faith that is strong, even when we might feel as we are weak. Because it's in God who never fails us. So if you're with me still, let's jump into the book of Daniel. I'm going to read from Daniel chapter 10, the opening verses of the chapter. And wherever you're at watching online, I invite you to stand with me. If you all are here in the sanctuary, if you're able, would you rise to your feet as I open up reading from Daniel chapter 10. Daniel 10 through 12 are a collective story of a vision that Daniel has You'll see in this first chapter, it's him seeing the messenger who's relaying the vision. This is what it says. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat, or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man, clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. And no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, watch this, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. And stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken his word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, 
For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Amen to that. Verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Jump over to verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. This is God's word, church. You may be seated. Once again, Daniel writes in language that is so difficult to kind of wrap your mind around. You, you feeling me when I was reading that? You're kind of like, man, wh- wh- where is this going? Somebody told me after the first service that hey, I was wondering where you're going to go with that after you read the scripture. It, when we read portions like this in scripture, we often say, well, God, what, what are you teaching us here? Some things that are important for us to understand is Daniel said he's writing in the third year of Cyrus. This seems to be about two years after Cyrus had issued a decree for God's people to begin to return to Judah. But the thing is, once they began to return, they came to a land that had been decimated by war, ravaged by people not being there, a land that had been forsaken. And if you might remember the story of Nehemiah where he looks at the broken walls and he begins to mourn. In similar fashion, Daniel is here according to verses 2 and 3 and he is mourning. He is broken over various things that are taking place. Among them, no doubt, is the, uh, the, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. See, the people of Israel began to really wonder during this time, is God finished with us? They began to wonder if God would really follow through because of their disobedience. They began to wonder what happened to the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the promises to King David and that covenant. And so Daniel was here, it says in verse 2, mourning and fasting for three weeks, 21 days. He stood without eating meat or delicacies or drinking wine. Basically, Daniel's like, I can't eat anything that's going to be good to my taste buds because I'm in this place of mourning right now. And And I'm fasting because I'm bringing my request to God with urgency. But as Daniel's prayers are responded to by God, we learn various things. The first thing we're about to learn is that God wants Daniel to understand that prayer matters. That prayer is significant. God wants you and I to understand that our prayers matter. And for many of us, God is ultimately saying this. Stop thinking that your prayers don't matter. Y'all with me on this? Stop thinking that your prayers don't matter. Daniel is here praying and fasting. Fasting is like an espresso shot to your prayers. It is a heightening of your, of your sense saying, God, I, we need this. God, this is what I'm burdened with. Daniel's praying, and as he's praying, he sees a vision of a man. 
this angelic kind of being, this messenger. And this messenger has a very similar description to what we find of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. But what seems different here is this messenger is held up in his message. He needs help. So many see this messenger as an angelic being. This messenger comes to Daniel, though, and he strikes fear in Daniel. Daniel's overwhelmed by the radiance of this presence. And it's so remarkable to me, fam. Whenever we see angelic beings show up in Scripture, the response of the person seeing them is utter fear and terror. How much more would it be when we stand in the presence of our God? I mean, how much more would it be when we are before God in his presence? And Daniel is here before this angelic being. He falls to his face. And this angel comes to him and he tells him in verse 10, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. Notice that Daniel's praying and God essentially saying, Hey, Daniel, I heard you. I heard you when you prayed. And not only did I hear you, but again, I'm sending a messenger to you as a response to your prayers. Church, your prayers matter. God hears them and he responds to them. But what I find so remarkable is what we are told about what this angel has to say. He says in verse 12, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. But it's now day 21. Remember, three weeks. Well, what happened? If from the first day Daniel prayed, God heard his prayers, and he sent this messenger, why is this messenger showing up three weeks later? Well, look what he says in verse 13. He says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia. See, this angelic messenger is not talking about something that's happening in the tangible, physical realm, but he's talking about a war that was taking place in the spiritual realm that was unable for Daniel to be seen. He's telling Daniel this. When you prayed, there were some things going on in a spiritual realm that your eyes were not privy to seeing. But I need you to know God heard you. He sent me as an angelic messenger, but there was a demonic force who was behind the prince of Persia, who is the prince of Persia, behind the Persian Empire's evils, and this demonic force tried to stop me from coming to you. I don't know if y'all are seeing this, but what we're seeing is that there is something that happens that is far different than what we see by the naked eye when we pray, church. What Daniel is being told, and that this messenger held up this angelic being, this this demonic force held up this angelic being until Michael helped him out, and then he arrived. What we're told here is that as we pray, we are doing war, church. There, There is a warfare that takes place as God's people pray. There is a heavenly conflict that perpetually surrounds us, and when we pray, we engage that thing. Is this motivation to pray, church? See, your prayers matter. Your prayers are important to God. Prayer is a matter of warfare. Prayer, then, is effective because when Daniel prayed, God sent forth a messenger. 
But watch this. A lot of times, many of us withhold prayer because we believe God's in control. And because God is sovereign, we say, why bother pray? That reasoning ever hit you? If God has a plan, then why should we pray if he's going to work out his plan? Well, there are questions that we ask that God's like, I'm not concerned about answering that. God's like, what I'm concerned about is having you know two things. One is that I am God and I am sovereign over all things. But two, that I call you to pray. And how your prayers work with my sovereignty is beyond your understanding. But one thing God tells us is clear that our prayers work in according to his sovereign will. So when you pray, you are in God's will, church. When you pray, you are doing God's work. And Daniel learns this important message that you and I need to understand. That prayer is part of God's plan in his sovereign will. So pray and stop thinking that prayers don't matter. But this is what I find super interesting. Why does this demonic being, this prince of Persia in the spiritual realm, want to hold up the messenger from bringing a message to Daniel? Like, what's he going to say that's so important that he doesn't want Daniel to hear it? You following me? That for 21 days, he's trying to prevent the message. Well, the answer to that's in verse 14. The messenger says this, that he came to make you understand what is to happen to God's people, your people, Daniel, in the latter day. The angelic messenger is coming to tell Daniel God's plans for future events. And what we're going to find is through God's plan, God wants to strengthen the weakened faith of his people as they adhere to him, church. And what the enemies of God want to do is prevent that message that would strengthen them from going on out. Because ultimately, according to God's plan, through the restoration of his people, he would bring forth his Savior, Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this is the message that ultimately the prince of Persia wants nothing to deal with. He wants them to see none of that. But what God is allowing you and I to do is see kind of behind the scenes. Recently, my wife and I, we did a recording of a spoken word we had written um, for a a marriage kind of conference thing. And one thing that was pretty fun about doing this recording was like we were like in a music video. We're behind this green screen. They're talk, this green screen they're talking about doing, uh, putting different graphics. It was, it was pretty dope. But what was really fascinating is being able to see all the technology in front of us as we were performing our spoken word. We were able to see these crazy like cameras and mics. I mean, just high tech kind of stuff. Things that you don't see when you look at the finished product. When we watch a movie, we see the product. We don't see what goes in behind it. But we do know that a lot of work takes place. See, what God is doing here, as we are watching and living out our lives, God is giving Daniel and by application us a sneak peek behind the curtain so we can see what's actually happening in the heavenly realm. And he does so because he wants to strengthen yours and my faith so that our prayers might be effective. He wants to call us to pray and engage in this spiritual battle as we look behind the scenes. And so God says, Daniel, ultimately, I want you to pray, and your prayers matter. And this prince of Persia tried to hinder the message, but God's message made it to Daniel. 
And what we see in chapter 11 is the essence of this message. Now, of course, this is a long chapter, so I'm not going to uh, read it all for you. I'm going to read some of the opening verses, but I want you to see what God tells Daniel. God is basically says this, Daniel, I want you to know that I got this, that I'm in charge, that I've got complete control, because when you know that I have control, you can put your trust in me. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, I'm going to show you what's going to take place in the years ahead. And as for me, the messenger says, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. God is telling Daniel what's about to happen after the Persian Empire. See, Cyrus is king, and basically a future king in the, among the Persians is going to be wealthy, and he's going to raise up others against the Greek empire. But this is important for you all. I hope you all hear this. The Greek empire is not in power yet. God is giving Daniel a prophecy of what is yet to come. And by doing so, Daniel is being reminded that God is in charge. This king will raise up against the Greeks And then verse 3, then a mighty king shall arise out of the Greeks who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. God is telling Daniel that the Greek empire will have a mighty king who rules and does whatever. We know from history that this is Alexander the Great, the great king of the Greeks. He reigns for some 13 years. And just as his kingdom comes up and is established, it ends after his sudden death. And this is what God tells Daniel in verse 4. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken. It's like God is saying, this guy's going to rise up. He's going to die. And what happens to Alexander the Great's kingdom after he dies? Does it go to his sons? No, it doesn't go to his sons, but it goes to his four generals. Look what it says here. His kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, not to his his children. I hope you all hear what's, what's going on here. God is telling Daniel what's going to happen with pinpoint precision. If this doesn't strengthen your faith in the authority and accuracy of God's word, I don't know what will, church. God is telling Daniel that after the Persians will come the Greeks who are going to have a great king. And this great king is going to have an empire that comes up quick. But then he's going to die and his kingdom won't go to his sons, but it's going to be divided among his four generals. You need more detail than that? God's like, I'm in charge. I got this. Daniel, you need to know that this is what's going to happen. So when when it takes place, you don't panic. And also that when it takes place, you remember I'm in control. We can put our faith in a God who's in control. God is working at a different speed from the world empires around us, church. God is working altogether different. Because looking at chapter 10, verse 1, Daniel says this. He says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. Now you remember, if we go back a few weeks, Daniel was named Belteshazzar by who? Who gave Daniel this name? Well, it was none other than King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar was so consumed with establishing his power, he would kill people who didn't bow down to him. But where is Nebuchadnezzar during this time? 
of Daniel's prophecy? He's dead. Where's the Babylonian empire that named Daniel Belteshazzar? It's gone. The empire had risen, and now it's gone. And God is saying, but I still remain. I'm in charge. These earthly kingdoms are going about, but guess who is sovereign over all of it? When God's in control, church, we can put our faith in him. Even when we're weak, we can trust in him because he is in charge. And Daniel needed to know that. You and I need to know that. Daniel chapter 11 goes on to tell about another king who would raise up among the Greeks. We know from history it's a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, a wicked ruler who would sacrifice a pig in the temple just to mock the God of Israel. He would put the pressure on God's people and he would ultimately become a type of a greater, more wicked ruler who is to come in the last days that we often know as the Antichrist. And what God is telling Daniel and us is that don't be surprised when things get bad as they are. Don't be worried or shaken when these things happen because I'm still in charge. But there's a third thing God wants his people to know is that not only that prayer matters and that can strengthen our faith, not only that God's in charge and that will strengthen our faith, but thirdly, that God ultimately just wants us to have a gritty kind of faith in him that lasts to the end. You see, when the pressure mounts in chapter 11, verse 32, even in the days of Antiochus, and this is true of wicked rulers of all times pressuring God's people, how will we uphold, how will we stand up when our faith is in the fire? Well, Daniel's told that this wicked man shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. God is telling Daniel that my people who truly know me will persevere. They will remain strong. And Daniel, I want that word to strengthen you. God is calling us that he telling us that he will call us to persevere. Now, what Daniel is seeing here is a vision of what's happening in the immediate future maybe 100 years, and what's going to happen in the distant future. A lot of times we liken this to a mountain range. When we were in Colorado earlier this summer, as we're driving there to to, uh, uh, the Rocky Mountain National Park, we could see this panoramic view of the mountain ranges. It was beautiful. But one thing that we didn't realize is how far apart one mountain was to the next. And as we drove closer, we'd realize that some of these mountain ranges were actually miles away. But when we saw it all together, they looked close together. You following me? When many of the prophets saw visions from God, they weren't told necessarily when these things would take place. All they see is the mountain range, and they would tell you what they see, not knowing when, uh, how close one might be from the next uh, vision that they see. Daniel sees it all together, and he's telling God's people to be strengthened in the immediate future, but ultimately he's telling all of God's people to be strengthened for the distant future in the last Days, And with that, we're called to have a gritty, strengthened faith. It's the kind of faith that doesn't waver when the pressure mounts now or in the future. You see, in chapter 12, as this vision wraps up, the angel says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble 
such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. We know this as the time of the great tribulation in the last days. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. See, a strengthened faith in God understands that ultimately God wins. This is the message that God wants Daniel to to understand as things conclude here. That ultimately those who die in Christ as God's followers in Jesus, will raise from the dead to eternal life. And those who've rejected will raise from the dead to eternal death for eternity. And by this word, God wants to strengthen us. You know, as a family, one thing that we've been getting into lately has been, is, is double Dutch. Now, it might be seen a little odd for us, but we like doing weird things like this. If you've ever seen people do double dutch or if you know how to do it one thing you notice is as the ropes are being twirled the person getting ready to jump in is kind of doing this little step like this you know you know what i mean don't don't pretend like you've never seen this okay and what this person is doing they're trying to time their jump right because if you jump at the wrong time that rope's going to smack you in the forehead it's happened to me but if you time it right you jump in and you're inside of this thing but then you got to keep jumping or else you get tangled up What happens in double dutch is if you're hesitant, you either never jump in or when you do, you're going to mess up. You're going to fall. In the same way, God is saying a gritty faith in me, the one who's in charge, who calls you to pray, is a kind of faith that jumps in. That's all in that trusts that I've got this, that I will raise the dead in me and cause them to be with me forever. This is the message, ultimately, that God wants to relay to Daniel. Because Daniel is left here in verse 8, wondering, what do I do with all this? What do I do with this vision of the future? What do I do of this bad news that these wicked rulers are coming and are going to persecute your people, God? What what do I do with this? In verse 8, I heard Daniel says, but I, I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, that is, by fire, by suffering. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. And then this message in verse 13. This is, t- this is what they tell Daniel as the book of Daniel concludes. But go your way until the end, and you shall rest and then shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. What God is telling Daniel is, Daniel, proceed, remain faithful, persevere, then you'll die. You will rest. But at the right time, I will raise you up, and you will stand with me for all of eternity. And this is how the book of Daniel concludes. It's God telling Daniel, now as an old man, well into his 80s, Daniel, just keep pressing on. And just know that you will stand with me for all of eternity. Know that though it appears at different times that I'm losing, ultimately, I win. 
This is the whisper woven throughout these last three chapters. I'm in control. I got this. In the end, God's like, I win. In the end, I win. These kingdoms will rise, but they will fall. But I will win. This is not the first nor the last time it would appear that God has lost. It appear here that as these kingdoms rise and God's people are persecuted, that God was not in control. It would appear that God lost. Just like it appeared in the Garden of Eden that God had lost when his first people that he created took of the fruit. But God told Eve that one of her children would crush the serpent. It would appear that God lost in the days of Noah when the world was wicked and people did whatever they wanted except for the fact that God saved one family through an ark. It would appear that God lost when Abraham was 100 years old and all he had was a promise from God until God caused his wife Sarah well into her 90s to give birth. God would appear to have lost when Israel asked for a king and rejected him until God said, I would raise up a perfect king one day. It would appear that God would lose when Israel falls to, the northern kingdom of Israel falls to the Syrians and the southern kingdom falls to the Babylonians until God says, I will not break my promise. It would appear that God loses when the Persian king Ahasuerus issues a decree to eliminate the Jews in genocidal fashion until God raises up that bold and beautiful Queen Esther. It would appear that God loses when for 400 years, God is silent from Malachi to Matthew, not bringing new revelation. It appeared God loses until the angel Gabriel yet again shows up, but this time to Mary and Elizabeth with a message. It appeared God loses when this same Mary and Joseph are chased out of Bethlehem by this maniac King Herod to kill him until God sends them and saves them in Egypt. It would appear that God loses when Jesus, the Son of God, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, weakened in his flesh, tempted by the greatest tempter of all time, until Jesus rebukes him by the power of the word. It appears that God loses when his hand-picked disciple turns Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver. It appears God loses when those who he called to carry the mantle flee from Jesus at the first sign of adversity. It appears God loses when Jesus is flogged, beaten, mocked, and spit upon, nailed to a wooden cross, buried in a tomb that was borrowed, broken body, and bloodied. It would appear that God loses that Friday morning. But as we see in the book of Daniel, as we see throughout the entire revelation of Scripture, things are not always as they appear. Because God wanted Daniel to understand that while it appears that these nations are calling the shots, things are not always as they seem. Though it appear that I lost on Friday morning, Friday evening, 
it would be clear that I would win on Sunday morning. Although it appeared that I lost while my son was in the grave, I would appear that also true that I would win though when he would raise from the grave, when that earthquake shook and that stone is rolled away. Things are not always as they appeared. God wins, church family. God wins in the book of Daniel. And Daniel was able to rest with this sure promise that his God will win. And with that truth, his faith is able to be strengthened. With that truth, he's able to pray knowing that his prayers matter. With that truth, he knows that his God's in charge. With that truth, he can have a gritty faith. So don't put your faith in the wrong kind of God. Don't put your faith in a God that you dreamed up in your mind because it will not adhere to that surface church. Don't put your faith in this idea of God, but into the true God where your faith can be stuck. Let that true God then do his sanctifying work by cleansing you with the rubbing alcohol of his word and adversity. Let that God, the God of the Bible, be the one that you adhere to. Press into him, church. Attach to him. Don't detach because you can trust him. He's got you. You can trust him and hold on to him because he wins. Our faith in God is secure because our God is sovereign. But here's the beautiful thing. We learn from Daniel and we learn from God's word. When our faith is in our God, the true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, when our faith is in him, we can carry any weight he would put on us. We can carry any kind of adversity because he will sustain you. No matter how heavy it feels, your faith will not be shaken when it's placed in him. Our 3M hooks had too much weight on them, but they weren't installed properly. Our faith in God, when placed in him, can handle what God brings our way. This is the hope we find here. And this is us tasting and seeing that our God is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Will you be like Daniel, who to the very end even dies with that promise? Will you persevere? Will you hold on? Our prayer is that you would, church family, because our God will never, ever, ever fail us. Father, we put our faith in you, Lord. We are so thankful, God, that you are a God who is reliable. Thank you for showing us, God, that though from the naked eye, we we don't see what's going on. We can't see the spiritual warfare. We, We can't see necessarily that you are sovereignly in control of everything. But we can know this, God. We can trust this based on what you've told us in your word. Of course, God. The enemy would not want us to know that. (laughs) Of course he would hinder the angelic messenger from giving a word that would strengthen us even now in 2020. But Lord, we set our eyes to the heavens. We wait for the day our Savior, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will part the skies, roll it back as a scroll, pierce it, and bring us home. 
Maranatha, we say, oh Lord, come quickly, Jesus. Come take us home. But so long, God, as we've said before, so long as you've got us here, keep us strong in your grip, holding on to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's rise to our feet as we close in song here, giving our praise to God who is that cornerstone who won't ever fail us. We long for that day, God. We look forward to the day when our faith will become sight. Sustain us, Lord, between now and then. Let us not waver, God. Let us be strong in you. Let us trust you, God, no matter what comes our way. We love you and we adore you. God, for any who are here today who have yet to put their faith in you, any who are watching online who have yet to raise that white flag and surrender, believing in Jesus' finished work on the cross on their behalf and turning from their sin. God, I pray you would do that today and cause faith in them to rise. Oh, Lord, do your work in our midst, we pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church family, before we dismiss, I just want to continue to encourage you all to press into God. Keep trusting him no matter what comes your way. And as we go out, remain on mission, church. So I mentioned in the start of, this serve, of my sermon to not let complacency sink in. Remember, social distancing does not mean spiritual distancing, right? It does not mean spiritual isolation. We got to continue to do God's work wherever he calls us to be. And so let's remain vigilant to do that, all right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you, church family. Uh, be looking out for our real communities, emotionally healthy relationships, uh, email information for everyone in our church family and for the No Filter Singles event. Register for that. We want you all to be connecting with us in some way. God bless you all. We'll see you outside. <laughs>